food lovers out there. Uh, today we have a sweet program, and we're going to be talking about really cake. Yeah. cake, 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 which Peter has been eating plenty of. I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> now we're, we're our first guest is Hayden Crawford uh, from Cohen Street Bakery. And his family has been in this business for a long time, and he sure knows his way around um, a cake, a fruit cake, a, a pecan cake, a macadamia, white chocolate cheesecake, which Peter enjoyed. Uh, let's listen to Hayden Crawford. Yes, we're going to be talking to um, Hayden Crawford of the um, uh, Collins Street Bakery in Texas that's world famous. You know, for among others, it's fruitcake, but um, Peter's the one who ate most of this, um, Hayden, and I think he's going to take the lead in telling you his, his, what all he's eaten. He's eaten everything. <laughs> right. I love it. But, I love it. So, but, I mean, my, my only comment is I now understand why your cheesecake is so famous, but, um, and not to mention the, the wonderful uh, the fruitcake, not to mention the wonderful cheesecake, is what I wanted to say. So take it away, Rabbit. Let's begin with this short story that you told us before we turned the recorder on, Hayden, about how, how you obtained the recipe for the wonderful cheesecake, which I devoured totally. He ate Absolutely. the whole thing by himself. I love that. I love that. Well, the fun story behind that is um, uh, one of our uh, previous owners and the president of our company, he's he's now gone, but his son is running the company in his stead. But um, he was a big fan of New York, traveled there all the time, found a place that served what he thought was the best cheesecake he'd ever had, befriended the owner of this uh, little shop, and eventually uh, this guy retired. And uh, we approached him, or our, our past president approached him, and asked to buy it, and we did. And so that that was the start, and it was the New York style cheesecake, and that was the start of our cheesecake uh, group. And we now have about five or six varieties of cheesecake, and I believe you guys got the white chocolate macadamia, which is one of our more popular uh, versions. It's absolutely fabulous. I mean. <laughs> When you when you you tear, you you want to tear the cover off <laughs> so you can get so you can get to it quicker, but but let's 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 begin with a, a different part of the story because I I would have thought gro- growing up in the United Kingdom as I did, where fruit cake is the ultimate in cakes that are served for weddings and for Christmas and for all other kinds of holiday period. But I, w- I would have said Great Britain has a wonderful cheese, uh, fruitcake tradition. How, how come this upstart bakery in Texas decided they did? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well... So uh, we acknowledge Great Britain's um, fruitcakes. They are they are a wonderful confection. Uh, we're just trying to, uh, as Americans, we're just trying to copy the Brits. But <laughs> what we did is we, in 1896, so quite a history behind this, we founded um, this little bakery that's grown into this worldwide um, purveyor of fruitcake. But it started in 1896. It was a, a German immigrant uh, baker who had the recipe, um, it, his recipe did not call for the marzipan that's um, often seen with the, um, the British fruitcakes. Uh, yeah. so we right, have a, right, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah, so we have this fruitcake that's laden with pecans. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, it's almost 30% pecans, so it's just laden with pecans, and then we add in uh, these different fruits. We owned... And, and then recently sold the world's largest organic farm down in Costa Rica. Oh wow! We sold most of. We sold most of. It. We kept some, but uh, we grew or we grow pineapple there. Um, uh. Dole Pineapple wanted that um, farm, offered us a price that we really couldn't refuse, and so we sold them the majority, uh, which they now have, 
uh, and we kept about 150 acres down there, and that's what we used to grow our pineapple that we put in our fruitcakes. But at the time, before we sold the farm to Dole, we were pulling 50 million pineapples a year off of that uh, 3,000-acre farm. Yeah, world's largest, uh, world's largest operation like that. Um, so then we get our cherries from the Pacific Northwest uh, in Michigan. We get our raisins from California. Um, we, we have papaya that's also in our fruitcake, which took the place of citron. Um, oh. We just we thought papaya taste had a better, more interesting flavor than citron, so we shifted the papaya, and we grow that in Costa Rica on our farm as well. Now you also have cherries, Maraschino cherries. But, yes, the the cherries come from uh, Michigan and the Pacific Northwest, and and uh, they're the finest money can buy. Well, the whole thing is is super fine quality. I mean, just. What is it with the paper separating? Is that to let you know how to big how big to make the slices? It, you know what? It wasn't intended to do that, but th- that is we think that is um, the ideal slice. We found that if you slice it thicker than that and try to eat it, it's so it's such a dense consistency and so sweet that it will just gum up your mouth. So we found oh, that a cookie. Yeah, so those those little they're, they're like one ounce slices. It's like eating a cookie. Uh, it, we personally feel and and that, that it's the best expression of our fruit cake. And so we pre-slice those for whoever asks for them. We typically the cake is sold just as a whole. But when I sent it to you, I thought, well, this will allow them to taste test it without having to cut into the cake itself. And so I sent you the pre-sliced. Okay. okay. So so you can get it pre-sliced if you want to, but you don't have to. That's correct. You pay you pay a premium for the pre-slice because we're we're doing that, but um yeah. I think the premium is $4 on the top of the cost of the cake. Well, uh, I mean, it's certainly the wonderful, the wonderful stuff. Uh, we we were just talking to uh, Well, well to, hold, hold on a minute. The great thing about it, you missed out is if you've really been a good boy or a good girl, you can have two slices. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you something else too. If you'll take that slice uh, and put it uh, on a plate with a uh, just a little pat, small pat of salted butter, and yeah, then microwave exactly that or toaster oven, it is that little bit of salt in that butter, and the butter itself just melds with that fruitcake and makes the most delicious snack or something you eat with coffee. Uh, now, have you heard of a Simnel cake? Yes. Uh, a Simnel cake is a is a British te- British cake, but the unusual thing about it is it has a big slice of marzipan right through the middle. Oh, That's yeah. True. Yeah, I, I knew I'd, I, I'd heard the name, and that was how interesting. Does it go uh, horizontally through it? Yes, yes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so there's, a, yeah. There's, a, there's a layer. Of, you, you, you cut the cake into two layers. And in the middle of that goes the marzipan. Gotcha. Well, you remember that well, that malted twelve layer cake I made once and never made again because it was so much work, Rabbit. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it, I remember it that. Had, I, I was so I was so mad at you because you gave you gave them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you well, gave it had one of the each layer the was different, and the, the icing was different, and the separating stuff was different. And one layer was marzipan. One, oh, one of that. The, yeah. Oh, it was a what splendid cake. <laughs> it was wow. So much I mean, that, you had to make. Uh, I think it was twelve tiers or twelve layers, and you had to bake the cake and then carefully slice it, slice it in half, you know, and then put on the buttercream and the marzipan. It was, it was, it was, that sounds it was fantastic. And and made it for a friend of hers who swore she had never had a birthday party. <laughs> So she got, well, she that's got one the way in to the do page. it. Now, hold, hold on a second. Sure. Texas is not the only source of super fine cheese, of super fine fruitcake. There you go. traditions elsewhere, too. You, you must know them. Perhaps as, as some of your competitors, I seem to recall one year as a, as a sort of a Christmas gift, 
I got a fruitcake that was made in Georgia. Yes, uh, Claxton fruitcake. There you go. <laughs> you, I don't remember you know that one. You, you know them all, I guess. <laughs> sure. we, in fact, this is interesting. Claxton's been a competitor of ours, or they've been in the same field as us for years and years. They're almost, we're 126 years old now, I think. I think they're right near 100 years old. And my business partner and I, the, the president of the bake, current president of the bakery and I, were in Sea Island, Georgia, uh, on a vacation, and we ran into this really nice couple. And as we talked to them, we found out they are the owners of Claxton Fruitcake. <laughs> we, we'd never, we'd never met them, never heard about them, uh, and they were just a wonderful couple. So it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. What a coincidence, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now let's 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 go through the lineup. Of what, of what you of what you can enjoy because we've we've talked about the white chocolate macadamia cheesecake <laughs> included yeah. in the care package you sent to us was a cherry <laughs> fudge pecan cake. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm halfway through. I'm halfway through that one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So he's really it. skinny. You don't know him, um, <laughs> but he's he's very skinny, so he could eat all this stuff, and he never puts on any weight. <laughs> I next, don't understand next, those kind of people. Yeah, well, I, I have a problem too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Next, I next have, after that. Expensive. Next after that is going to be the the reg deluxe sliced fruitcake. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us about that guy. Okay, so we have a we have a line of fruitcakes and a line of cheesecakes, and we also have a triple chocolate cake and and some different kinds of pies, and all these are available. Uh, through the mail online for you yeah. to order at any time. I was I was online. eyeing up that the pecan pie. They, <laughs> coming oh, from Texas, okay. that would be pretty good. That's a, a fun story about that one. The okay. pecan pie, um, the original recipe for that pecan pie came from uh, Tennessee, and one of our previous owners, who's now retired. Uh, but he uh, was born and raised in Tennessee. It was his grandmother's recipe, oh, and when wow. he came to the bakery and became one of the partners here, he brought that recipe with him. So it's really a deep south Tennessee apple pie. I mean, I'm sorry, Tennessee pecan pie recipe. Wow. Now so you've that's, got, you've that's got, oh, oh, sorry, Hayden, go ahead. Sure, sure. So back to your question, we have on the um, the – Fruitcake side are what we call them either fruitcakes or pecan cakes. We interchange that. Some people just don't like the term fruitcake. Well, it's it's also pecan cake because it is third pecans. But we have the deluxe, and the deluxe is our standard. It's the one with the red and green fruit, the Christmas-colored fruit on the top of it. Uh, it's the one that's been around the longest. Uh, it was in, a uh, little fun story here, it was actually in The Godfather, the original Godfather <laughs> movie. Yeah, there's a scene where uh, James Kahn is he, he's taking a phone call in his kitchen, and at his elbow is our deluxe fruitcake tin. You can see it; it's that oh, red. How fun! Isn't that fun? And that was that oh, was yeah. before product placement. That was just the the set designer did that, I guess. Oh, really? so we have we have that deluxe. It's our it's our by far our most popular fruitcake. And then we have what we call the Texas Blonde, which was kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke. But it, what we did there was the exact same recipe, except we just removed the uh, red and green fruit decorations on the top. So it's just pecans on top. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that said, I hate fruitcake, and the reason why I hate it is because of that colored fruit. So we got rid of it. Oh, so you yeah. get the Deluxe. Yeah, Deluxe has it. The Texas uh, Blonde does not have it. And then we have these other flavors. You guys are tasting one right now, the um, cherry chocolate fudge. Um, it's just it's based on the same recipe, but we just you know throw in uh, chocolate fudge and throw in uh, additional cherries. We don't add the pineapple to it. Uh, we have a pineapple pecan cake. It's just pineapple and pecan. That's it. And we have an apricot pecan cake. Same thing. Apricots, pecans. That's it. Same basic. Uh, style of fruitcake as the original, so it's going to be about a third pecans to the um, to the cake. Uh-huh. We also and do. I think, 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to go straight yeah, to I, I, say, I think we have five varieties of that, and then the cheesecakes, we have about five varieties as well. And you have now, the which, brittle. Now, which is the oh, one you we, put liquor in? Yeah, and, and you can uh, – okay, here, a, a fun uh, a fun fact, our previous president, who I've already referred to, who got the uh, rum cake – I'm sorry, the, um, the uh, cheesecake recipe, he also had a uh, – a comment he made about fruitcake, because a lot of people said, why don't you add liquor to it? Uh-huh. Um, and his response was that that if we added liquor to your cake, it would be a ruination of both uh, fine uh, uh, liquor and then our fine fruitcake. And he said, so <laughs> if you want to do it, you'll choose best on your liquor, and that will make it a better cake. So we don't do it for you. You can do it. And my mother made her famous Christmas cake, and the only liquid ingredient she used was bourbon. <laughs> and, and then, and then she had a special plate for it, a special um, little—I don't know what you call it—cake carrier. And uh, for for uh, nuns, you would feed it bourbon every day to keep it moist. Oh man! Just to show you how. Just to show you how yeah, particular she was, he was yeah, always my, old granddad. Yeah, she was old granddad. Yeah, in fact, that's what I was interrupting with, and I apologize for interrupting, but my granddad, coincident, coincident enough, my granddad did the same thing where he would take uh, our fruitcake uh, uh, home around, I guess right around Halloween, and he would put his, I think he used... I think he just used straight whiskey. But anyway, mm-hmm. whatever it was he used, he poured into the center, that center hole. Our, our fruitcakes yes. are round with a hole in the center. Yeah. He poured in that center hole, put it back in the fridge, and let it sit and cure, he called it, for the month leading up to Christmas. And then he pulled it out and served it. <laughs> yeah, well, my mother always referred to it as feeding the cake. <laughs> there you go. Yes. I like that. <laughs> and it... And it it made it made the room smell really good too. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> now, now you've you've been a part, a recent part, I guess, of the management team at Collins Steak Bakery. Was it originally was it originally a family business? And t- t- talk to us about how it grew. Yes, absolutely. So, um, in fact, I'm second generation um, family. Uh, owners of this company. My business partner, the president, he's third generation. Uh, his he's got kids here that are fourth generation McNuts. Wow. Uh, the way it's yeah. So it's always been a family business, uh, although we were not a part of it. Um, the the original families were two groups. Um, Thomas McElwee was the entrepreneur who got that part of the business going and Gus Weidman was the German I earlier mentioned who was our baker the two of them partnered up uh, and they ran that business for a number of years um, till somewhere in about the 40s so from 1896 to about the 40s and by then um, Thomas McElwee had passed away he his surviving widow was was there but uh, he had passed away. Gus and his wife were still around, and so those families sold the fruitcake company to a group of investors, one of which was a McNutt, which was my partner's um, granddad. So that group came in and bought it in the 40s sometime, and we, the, the, the families, uh, now have been running it ever since. As I said, Bob is uh, third-generation McNutt to uh, – to own the company, and, and I'm second generation, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been family owned for 126 years now. Wow! Now this this is this is not some baby enterprise. Let's make sure people <laughs> under, people people understand that there's no risk of running out of the availability of corn bakery <laughs> cheesecake. There, so or, yeah, or fruit cake because because you make it quite a few places. We make we make about two million cakes a year, Jeez. and we we sell them into all fifty states, and we sell them into one hundred and ninety two or one hundred and ninety four foreign countries. 
uh, every year. So, um, yeah, so it's what, a big Which business. foreign countries are your biggest uh, fans? Well, uh, England is one of them. England, Germany, yeah. If you're talking about foreign countries. Well, you know, you, you should corner this. In England, that's what you get for a wedding cake. And, and they yeah. have these groom's boxes so that they actually pack up pieces of it and send it to people who couldn't make the wedding. I couldn't believe it. We, we couldn't make my niece's wedding, and they sent us it. It's all crushed, this cardboard box. Yeah, but, this cake oh. this. <laughs> by, the time we, by the time we got it, it was kind of dried out. Yeah. 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 But so it's you, a huge market for England. You've got, yeah, a, number, a, you've got a number of... Hayden, you, you have a number of bakeries, though. I think well, we we have that I had a picture of several. Yes. Now, um, just to just to kind of uh, define what that is, we have one central place where we make our fruit cakes. Okay. Uh, it's our headquarters bakery. It's in downtown Corsicana, Texas, um, and that's where all of our fruit cakes are made. Uh, Does the, the whole chicken. town smell like fruit cake cooking? Oh yes, it can during the fall. <laughs> people, you know. You, you can smell it. So uh, then we set up what we call these bake shops, and there's four of them around uh, North Texas, scattered out around North Texas. And they sell we, – we ship fruitcakes to them, and they in turn sell those out of those bake shops. But they also each bakes their own breads, cookies, pies, pastries. So uh, – but we just control here the fruitcake since it is our core product. But – um, we have one of those in Waco, Texas, right next to Baylor, um, uh, Baylor University. Uh, on I-35, we have one on I-20 near Tyler. Uh, we have one on I-45 here in Corsicana, and then we have our downtown location in Corsicana. How many employees? Let's see. So we have... I want to generalize. If I if we just talk about all of the uh, bake shops and the headquarters and just kind of combine that as a group, it's about a hundred people. And then that's not too much that, for all that production. Well, so what happens? There's a key question. So that's full time. That's year round. But then when we get near oh, production yeah, right. time, which we call fruitcake season, which is uh, <laughs> fourth quarter, uh, we'll go up to uh, over five hundred. So we'll we'll go from a oh, yeah. hundred to uh, over sometimes 600 uh, employees helping us push that cake out the door, and then we collapse it back down to about 100 in January. Okay, well, there's, a, there's a guy you should meet. And his last name is Walker. And his, <laughs> his, his family makes shortbread. <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, uh, yes. You may, may, uh, maybe you yeah, we, we have two, yeah. Yes, I uh, we ordered some of the of that Walker uh, shortbread in uh, right before season, I, and I, I don't even, we sometimes will test other products just to see, and I don't know why we tested that because it was a shortbread, but it's excellent. You're right; that's an excellent product. You you could probably work that into one of your cakes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the amazing thing he's he's a he's a local hero because. We met him at the Fancy Food Show, if you remember that. And yes. He, and he he was handing out shortcake samples at the Walker booth at the Fancy Food Show. And we, nevertheless, we engaged in a converse, long conversation with him because I knew his product from when I was a small child. Yeah. And, and he, he he was it was wonderful because he said, I'm something of a local hero because I just opened the, my my second shortbread bakery. <laughs> so, so they, they essentially own, they essentially own the town. Yeah. Is it here? Uh, is it uh, foreign? I mean, is it English or is it American? It's in Scotland. Sco- Scottish. Okay, it's in Scotland. It's in Scotland. I missed both guesses. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, you're, I, if you're yeah. looking for a dot, if you're looking for a dot on the map, there's a town yeah. in the Highlands of Scotland called Inverness, and it's near it's near Inverness. Okay. Well, Inverness is famous. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's famous for shortbread. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, well uh, you know, I, uh, you guys have this connection uh, to the fancy food show. How long have you guys been going there? Oh, forever. Well, we did, we did not go in person the last couple of years, but we always covered. Oh, it goes back to 
like the early beginnings, like in the 90s, 1990s. Um, okay. And it, we always went to the um, the one in New York, which is huge. Yes. It's bigger than uh, San Francisco ever was. And, uh, of course, I wasn't at Las Vegas. Were you at the Las Vegas one? Uh, and the New York one. And that's the reason why I was asking was um, I haven't gone in a long time. But uh, I used to go regularly from, like, 2005 to 2015. So I was just thinking maybe I ran into you guys. But uh, I would go to the New York show. I also went to the uh, uh, the Las Vegas show more recently. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was in New York for that show. Oh, I guess, like I say, last time, probably seven years ago, eight years ago. I mean, we, we cover, we've covered it for quite a long time, and um, so we know a lot of the vendors, you know. But um, yeah. it's, it's gotten so big that even um, three days you can't cover it. Oh, yeah. yeah it, Our it, arches have fallen. And yes, yes, <laughs> mine too. <laughs> Our arches have fallen way down. Yeah. Well, then let's close by going, making sure people understand how you can obtain your version of this wonderful substance. You, you bet. Can Thank join, you. You can join. You can join me in going at it with a knife and fork. There you go. <laughs> well, it's it's easy to find if you're um, if you got a computer handy because you can just type in fruitcake.com, and that'll take it to us. Uh, <laughs> we're all, okay. Is that great? We were lucky to get that one. It, yeah, as you can imagine. Uh, our, our main website and what fruitcake.com sim- simply directs you to is our, our name, Collins Street Bakery, but we, it's, it's just collinsstreet.com. So that's our website. Find it either way. Uh, you can call us on the 800 number. That number recently changed. So I don't have it memorized. But okay. um, uh, we we send out mail. We send out um, uh, online advertisements and offers. We do emails. So once we find you or once you find <laughs> us, we can keep in touch until you tell us, hey, I don't want to hear from you anymore or whatever. <laughs> but, well, you're a delight but, yeah. To interview, and I thank well, you so much for. Uh, hey, never, never, never happened. Never, uh, never happened. <laughs> <laughs> thank I, I have an you interesting, guys. I have an interesting question for you. Yes. Yes. Hayden is is a somewhat unusual first name. People, yes. people who are interested in classical music would call it, would pronounce it somewhat differently. Hayden. Hayden. Uh huh. When. When I when I was when I was growing up, my parents had really good friends, and uh, and they had two children, Judith and Hayden. And Hayden Hayden went on to be an airline pilot for British European Airways, and that's, wow. that's what he wanted to be. He always wanted to yep. be an airline pilot, and his name was well, Hayden Crawshaw, so it's pretty close. Pretty close. Well, so my. Um, then Hayden comes from a, a line of Haydens that goes back to Scotland. So okay. uh, we tra- we trace back uh, doing the Twenty Three and Me and the, and the, there's a couple of other heritage websites. And so my my granddad was named Leonard Hayden. His granddad was named Joel Hayden. His grand you know and, and it went granddad for some reason it wasn't intended, but it, every other generation got the name Hayden and I'm I'm in that line and it goes all the way back to Scotland. Well that's wonderful. It's well been, you're a delight so much, and we thank so you much so fun. much. And yeah and, and certainly we, we appreciate your uh, your your product. <laughs> Peter's oh, so thanks. happy. <laughs> yeah, when, when, you, when you run when you when you run out will you send to me an injection? <laughs> Why I would never <laughs> well, thank you again, and um, uh, uh, listeners, you don't have to wait for uh, for the fruitcake season to, to try this, these wonderful oh, products. Thank you, absolutely. We we bake it uh, and sell it year round. We will bake oh twenty cakes uh, a week during the off season when there's just not a lot of demand for it. But we we're making fresh cakes on a 
you know, weekly basis. And then once we get closer to season, we'll make 20,000 cakes a day. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a fabulous business, and you sound like you're having fun. So thank you again for Always. getting in touch with us. You bet. Thank you guys for interviewing me. Right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Um, We have a, a man who knows his way around, of all things, King Cake, which is right on targets. As we're in Mardi Gras, or well, not in Mardi Gras, we are in uh, Lent, and King Cake, King Cake is part of this whole Mardi Gras celebration. Anyhow, um, Matt Haynes is called the Big Book of King Cake, and you'll be surprised about some secrets having to do with this d- delicious and fun tradition. Well, welcome to On the Menu, Matt Haynes. Um, I, I can say with no compunction whatsoever, this is probably the most thorough uh, history or uh, about book, about the big book of king cake that I ever envisioned possible. <laughs> you did a yeoman's job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I was surprised to see that nobody had ever done a book about king cake before. So I thought that it would be, uh, if I was going to do it, I wanted to, it to be thorough. Well, yeah, well, it, well, what happened was we, 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 we had to hire two guys to bring the book into the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that if somebody put three of these on one coffee table, it would break the coffee table. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you got some very nice endorsements, I see, from our friend Alon Shire, who we love. And, yeah, um, Alana's amazing. Yeah, isn't he wonderful? Yeah. So, anyhow, um, you have a, a very broad approach to this. Um, the, the stories and bakers behind New Orleans' sweetest tradition. Um, what exactly is a king cake? Because you actually question the definition of it. Yeah, so I guess. Um, to try to define a king cake, I'll go. Um, uh, I'll, I'll take a big step back because I think otherwise uh, everyone kind of has, and as, as I kind of go throughout the book, everyone has their own interpretations, which makes it fun now. But to me, oh. the things that a king cake would be is that it's um, it's the, certainly the most popular food eaten in New Orleans during carnival season, uh, which is yeah, but, the period between. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, please tell me that. Y- that you really do not tell us that it's not true that that there is an octopus king cake and cricket <laughs> king cake. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to tell you it is very it is very true, and I will also tell you they're they're pretty tasty too. The octopus one, especially the cricket one, has a nutty flavor to it. It was it's it's unique yeah. and nice, and I think that's the. Um, the cool thing about king cake is that everybody has their own spin on it now, and they bring some part of their own uh, past uh, to their new version of king cake, which, uh, you know, I think when I was creating the book, I thought it was going to be a book about cake, but pretty quickly I realized it's more interesting if it's a book about the people who make the oh, cakes yeah. and their history. Yeah. Now, um, you, you trace the origins of king cake back to the Romans with their bean cake, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had, um, it was called the, the Saturnalia cake. And so back then, this was pre-Christian times, it's uh, pagan Rome. They had uh, the Saturnalia festival, which was basically to celebrate the um, the passing of this not so great day, which was when the sun was at its lowest on December 21st, the winter solstice, the sun was at its lowest point in the sky. It was um, the darkest day of the year. Uh, but then the good news is every single day after that, things would get just a little bit sunnier and a little bit lighter. And so the worst days passed. And so that's what they were celebrating. And then they would, um, you know, all schools would be closed and courts and businesses would all be closed. And it would be this week long feast. And at the center of that feast would be their Saturnalia cake, which was shaped like the sun. And inside there was a bean that was hidden inside it. And whoever got the slice of cake with the bean inside 
was crowned king or queen of the Saturnalia. Um, If you're somebody in New Orleans, this will all sound very familiar because it's so similar to the traditions that we have yeah, here with around the king cake. The funny difference, I think, that I learned was that, you know, in New Orleans, it's a nice thing, especially for children, to be crowned king or queen for the day. But most adults, it's a little bit of an inconvenience because you're also responsible for bringing the next king cake to the party, um, which if you if you get the baby in the cake, several cakes in a row, it can really this is, it's a little bit of a costly uh, thing. But in Roman times, if you were king or queen of the Saturnalia, sometimes you would be sacrificed to the gods. So it was much That's higher okay. stakes back then. I love this photo. Um, the opening page here where where you have all these different types of people, ages and whatnot, uh, eating pieces of king cake, including a dog. And you actually have a chapter on this, the dog's <laughs> king cake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the woman who makes those dog king cakes, she said that, um, you know, she's got kind of like a, a pet boutique. And uh, so she made these, I mean, they're human grade peanut butter. They're pretty, I had a bite. It's pretty tasty. Um, but uh, she said that somebody in New Orleans hosted a party for her dog, their dog's birthday party that had like 40 different dogs there. And so they had to make this massive doggy king cake, which uh, I think if anything captures the insanity that is king cake in new orleans around mardi gras that's probably it (laughs) well you know i mean the thing about this the whole king cake issue and your book is that none of it would have been possible uh, without the um all the immigrants and the diversity of new orleans culture i mean everybody Mm -hmm. brought their own thing to new orleans and um, yeah. there, there, for example, a lot of Sicilian bakers, which um, it, it sort of um, rang strongly with me because of all the elaborate Sicilian desserts, including the mm-hmm. cassata, you know. Yeah, by, yeah by, absolutely. By, by the way, Annie's, uh, she's, she's touting Sicil- Sicilians here because that's her ancestry, just in case you got it. In case you wanted well, but no, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't realize that. I mean, after years of going um, to New Orleans, I didn't quite realize it until I read John Besch's book um, about the, um, um, the the multifaceted immigration patterns in them. In the, yeah. Um, no, they said that uh, the French Quarter used to be called uh, Little Palermo. Uh, yeah. after the city in, in Sicily. And um, and I think we had, besides New York, we had the um, the largest Sicilian uh, immigrant population between like 1880 and 1920. It was yeah. hundreds of thousands came here, which is amazing. And, 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 and that and evidence is around the city still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later on, then the, mm-hmm, yeah, in the 1970s after the Vietnam War, then that was another big immigrant group. And, and certainly you're right. All of these different groups brought their own um, you know, little twists and ingredients to the king cake. And now we see those are some of the most popular. King, I mean, the, the, the Dong Fang king cake now is yeah, I'm just probably the that. most popular one here. Yeah, in oh, New really? Orleans, I think it's, um, mm-hmm, I'd say it's, it's, if I was to name one that's like, what king cake is the mascot of the new New Orleans king cake, I'd say that um, Dong Fang would be up there for sure. If not number one, then certainly in the top three. It's, it's, they make 1,200 of them per day. And it's still impossible Jeez. to get one. Jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, um, so how did you approach this? I mean, you said you were going to eat um, the king cake um, in, in every one of these places. But you didn't quite manage that, did you? Well, the way that – so back in 2017, before I was even a writer, I was um, – I was just gluttonous and I, um, I was going, I was invited to a king cake party. And for one of those parties, everyone's um, invited to bring their favorite king cake. And then oftentimes, not always, but often there's like, you know, people will vote on what, who brought the best king cake. And I am a competitive personality and I wanted to, I wanted to win. <laughs> and so I started to do some research as to who had the best king cake. And my list ended up being, you know, more than a hundred king cakes long and I got to work trying them all, and I think I ended up eating 88 of them uh, that season, which is, you know, <laughs> is uh, terrifying or amazing or whatever word you want to use. <laughs> but then um, you know, I, mean, I wasn't a writer. 
I'm sorry, go ahead. We are now, I'll tell you, you really wrote. <laughs> Not a, yeah. a single corner of the king cake was left unexposed. <laughs> it was wonderful. Right, I tried to get to it all because there's so many incredible stories. Um, but yeah, this past time now when I was creating the book, I went back to all these bakeries and tried them again. And uh, But this time my metabolism was a lot slower. And so I, um, <laughs> I, I, I gained a lot more weight this time around than the first time. <laughs> Unfortunately. Now, I mean, who would have thought there were savory? Well, let's start at the very beginning. Originally, it was a very, very plain, like a, a brioche with um, the multicolored sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. It, it be, the, most New Orleanians will say king cake. Most New Orleanians today will say, will start the king cake story with the Mackenzie's king cake, which was yeah. um, uh, kind of, in the 1930s, that's when that bakery began. And uh, by the, at its biggest, there were 50-something Mackenzie's bakeries around New Orleans. So their claim to fame was that you, no matter where you lived, you could walk to a Mackenzie's bakery. And um, that's where most New Orleanians that I spoke to, I'd say 95% of the people I spoke to in this book, their first king cake was from a Mackenzie's bakery. And you're right, it had no icing at all. It was just a very lightly sweetened brioche dough that um, had just the purple, green, and gold sugar. Uh, no cinnamon at all. It was just, it was very plain. And no cinnamon. People said they I would, cinnamon was essential until I read your book. No. Now, now it certainly is. But, yeah, but back then there would not even be cinnamon. Uh, and, and people said in the mornings they would, um, you know, slice open uh, the Mackenzie's king cake, and they would put some butter on it, and they would eat it with their coffee. So very different yeah. than kind of what we do with it now, um, where there's so many decadent fillings that exist. Um, but it's now owned by Tasty Donuts. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tasty Donuts, which was a big competitor of Mackenzie's um, in the, I believe, like the 80s and 90s. Uh, when Mackenzie's closed down, Tasty Donuts purchased all of the, uh, the the major recipes of McKenzie's. And so the king cake and the buttermilk drops and all these things that are really iconic to New Orleanians, um, you can get them at Tasty Donuts uh, still today. Uh, though, I mean, if you ask most New Orleanians who grew up eating those things, they're happy that Tasty Donuts purchased the recipe, but they are, you know, a little grumpy that it doesn't taste exactly the same. It's they'd say, oh, that's not the same as when I grew up, which I think is probably... You know, most people feel about the things they remember from their childhood. There, there was a pushing of the envelope right along this whole history of this king cake with people trying to do different things and a lot of pushback and so forth. Um, but some people did some really daring things with it, didn't they? Yeah, I think that probably came out when Mackenzie's closed in 2000 um, and all of those different... Uh, McKenzie's stores, 50-something of them, shut down basically overnight. Uh, I remember one of the bakers that I spoke to um, who now has famously a Nutella king cake, um, she said that she was a college a student cake? in Austin. Uh, n- Nutella, <laughs> like that uh, oh, Nutella. peanut butter oh, or the hazelnut. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting, too. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I, was, that one. <laughs> I was thinking I missed that one. <laughs> um, yeah, but she was saying that she um, she was a student in Austin, and um, she wanted to start a bakery, and her mom called her the day that Mackenzie's closed and said, hey, you should come back here, come home now, and get ready to start a bakery because there's going to be this huge vacuum of space where all these Mackenzie's bakers used to be. And I think that's exactly what happened over the next 10, 15, 20 years. All of these independent bakers have popped up now, and they don't have to make that same single recipe of king cake. They've all got their own unique twists based on their own personal histories. So we've got um, a Honduran uh, bakery who um, there's a huge Honduran population here in New Orleans. And so it makes sense. Like for a lot of Latino countries they, or Latin countries, they like to have um, you know, guava and cream cheese in their pastries. And so that bakery is like, well, why not have a guava and cream cheese king cake, which Mackenzie's would have never made. But now every bakery <laughs> has their own different version of that. Well, you know, there's so many different things, and we'll never get to all of them. But um, it, maybe you should just bring our uh, listeners up to speed on what these colors, purple, green, and gold, actually mean. They're the official Mardi Gras colors. Tell us where they come from. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, under, the way that I understand it is um, that – in um, 
uh, in the 1870s, Mardi Gras was getting a little bit out of hand. And um, uh, it was getting a little bit dangerous. There were a lot of street. Uh, there was not a lot of rules around it, which, I mean, today still there's not that many rules around it. But um, uh, the city was threatening to cancel uh, carnival season unless it kind of there was a little more order around it. And so one of the uh, one of the earliest crews, the crew uh, Rex, which is still they parade still to this day every every Mardi Gras morning, and um, they had a uh, they decided they wanted to have a they wanted to have a king of carnival season, which Rex means king, in Latin. And so they uh, created this crew, and they figured that okay, every um, every king needs a flag, and so they created a flag. And there's certain rules around how you how you you can't just put any old colors together. It has to be um, like a color, then a metal, then a color. And so they went with purple because there's a lot of royalty. Um, it's a very royal color. And then they needed a metal, so they went with gold. Similarly, and then they had another. There, nobody's People have theories as to why green was used, but I haven't seen anything definitive about green. Uh, but then a couple of years later, in uh, I believe uh, in 1890, they had a parade, or 1892, they had a parade where they attempted to define what all of these different colors mean. And so I think it's uh, gold means power, and purple means justice, and green means faith are the, the colors. But, and they're still the colors of Rex, but, I mean, now – they are just the colors of Mardi Gras. They've become ubiquitous yeah, with the season, and almost every king cake has purple, green, and gold sugar or sprinkles or nonpareils on top. Um, even the savory king cakes, there's a king cake that has uh, crawfish, uh, kind of like a crawfish dip inside Yeah, it. what about and, that? Uh, I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, even the, even that one has a um, it has Parmesan cheese on top instead of sugar, but the Parmesan cheese is dyed purple, yeah. green, and gold. They kind of keep it, uh, you know, festive uh, with those colors. Now, tell us, the, when did we move from a bean to this little plastic baby Jesus? Yeah, it happened over a, a long period of time and, and in different times at different parts of the world. So the Romans started with a bean, a fava bean, uh, which uh, I think fava beans have a symbolism around rebirth, which is, like I was saying before, with the sun, they saw this uh, – Saturnalia as really representing the rebirth of the sun. The sun was going to get higher in the sky now. It was being reborn. And so there's a lot of, and, and they're, they're looking forward to spring, which is a major, obviously, season of rebirth. And so the bean is a big symbol of all that. Um, the problem with the bean that I saw in the, in the Middle Ages is that um, I, I read something that said it was common uh, in Europe, if you got the bean, that you might have to buy a round of beers for everybody in the pub. Oh. <laughs> and so, and so people would just, rather than saying they found the bean in their slice of cake, they would just swallow it so that they didn't have to buy that <laughs> round of beers. <laughs> and so, uh, perhaps that's one reason why um, in France they started to move to what's called a fève, an F-E-V-E, um, which is yeah. derived from uh, fava bean, and it's like a little uh, ceramic figurine early on it was a crown because um as christianity uh took over the uh the festivities from the pagans uh they added a lot more um uh royalty uh symbology to it because yeah. of the three kings finding the baby jesus and so it was common to instead of having a bean in the cake to have a ceramic or porcelain um crown um and then i mean over time now, I think it's, there's a festival in Paris every year, even to this day, where uh, they have all sorts of different um, uh, fevs that are created. They have one for their World Cup winning soccer team. All the different players <laughs> have their own fev. I think I even read they have one for the Kama Sutra. <laughs> all of the different positions <laughs> in the Kama Sutra have their own fevs as well. Um, and there are some bakers. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, uh, <laughs> bakers here in New Orleans, there are some uh, traditionally minded bakers who also have their own fevs made for the king cake. But most popularly, what we find in the cake still to this day is the plastic baby, which started here in New Orleans. Well, what I learned was that it was, it was pretty popular in the late 1800s in many parts of the U.S. to put inside a cake um, a ceramic person figurine, um, which was called often called a frozen Charlotte, and it was just based on this poem that happened where a poem about a girl who her mother was like, if you're going to this ball, you've got to wear your heavy coat. 
but she didn't, she really liked the dress she had on, so she didn't want to wear the coat. And so she defied her mother, but she froze to death on her way to the ball. So um, it's kind of like, (laughs) yeah, so it's a frozen Charlotte. And for some reason, this has ended up in cakes kind of as like it would be in birthday cakes and things like that in the uh, late 1800s in the U.S. And and oftentimes that would be to kind of remind, they said maybe it was to remind children not to defy your parents. I'm not sure if that's (laughs) true or not. But when you wanted to put something in a cake, you know, locally, it might be a bean or a pecan, um, or it might be um, one of these frozen Charlotte figurines. And then, and then, uh, this is kind of the first thing that's not speculation. That's more hard fact. Is one of the people who owned Mackenzie's remembers um, in the 1930s or 40s uh, a traveling salesman coming to the shop and saying, uh, "Hey, do you, what do you put inside those cakes?" And he was saying, "Oh," and the guy who owns McKenzie's was saying that they use um, oftentimes a bean, and, but same kind of problem they had in the Middle Ages. People would just swallow the bean whole, so they didn't have to host the next party. <laughs> and so he said, "Well, what if you put this? Uh, what if you put one of these ceramic babies in, or uh, figurines <laughs> in here? They won't be able to swallow that." And so they did that for a while, but then eventually that would be expensive. And so over the decades, they switched to the smaller plastic ones. And then that was this really cute thing that they could advertise. And then by the 40s and 50s and 60s, you see more and more advertisements about get your king cake with the baby inside. And then more bakeries started to follow suit. And now it's this ubiquitous thing you see everywhere. It's one of the most important parts of a king cake. We should establish this connection, which maybe is not obvious to, to our listeners, between the baby, who's the baby Jesus, and uh, the three magi, and, and what is Twelfth Night anyhow? Yeah, so Twelfth Night is um, the Twelfth Night of Christmas, and it's said to be the day that the three kings who were, um, you know, had seen the star, um, that was supposed to lead them to the, the to baby Jesus. And so they followed that star. And on the 12th night after his birth, they found Jesus and they presented him their three gifts. And so that moment is, uh, is a big moment for Christianity because it's the first time that, um, that the Messiah was kind of presented to the entire world, not just his family, but the entire world uh, represented by the three kings. And right. so it's this very big day and a big celebration and for, for still in some countries today, but even in the U.S. for a long time, it wasn't Christmas that was the important day. It was the 12th yeah, night. That was epiphany. the big festival. Yeah, yeah exactly epiphany. right. And, uh, and still in Spain, parts of Spain and Mexico, the day that it's not Santa Claus that would bring kids presents, it would be um, the three kings would be the ones right. bringing the kids the presents. And um, There's in so Mexico, much it's certain. This. Uh, I, mean, it's, oh my God. I was surprised by um, encountering Donald Link's um, connection with his restaurants and butcher. <laughs> you have this guy, um, photograph this guy eating a slice of, um, of, of king cake. <laughs> Off of a uh, cleaver, which is <laughs> yeah, I tried not, to, we tried to not find. Recommended. No, definitely don't try that at home. <laughs> um, yeah, me and my photographer uh, Randy Krauss Schmidt, who was you know Randy was there with me for every single photo shoot, and when we were meeting at first to kind of lay out what this might look like and what the challenges might be, um, I mean we knew this is a 368 page book, and we were like, okay, it's going to be tough to have this many pictures of cake without it getting repetitive. And so we set out to make sure that we were going to identify what's really unique about each of these cakes and each of these bakers and each of these bakeries and restaurants. And let's try to make sure that comes through, not just in the story, but in the photos too. And so a butcher, obviously, it made sense to go a little, and they, those guys are so, uh, so have big personalities. And so they were very willing to try, (laughs) try some zany things. Like for example, eating a a king cake off of a a cleaver. (laughs) Let me, let me say a great praise for this photographer, your photographer, because the photographs were absolutely splendid. I mean, it, the book is just—it's royal. <laughs> it's really majestic. Let's put it that way. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, and Randy, Randy, like you said, he did an, an, an incredible job. I'm very lucky to have uh, found him. Oh, he agreed indeed. to do this project with me. He was a great partner. Now, what, do, what do you follow? What do you follow this with? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Randy and I just met the other day to talk about it. Um, and wow. so we have a couple of ideas uh, floating around. 
One of them would be um, uh, maybe doing like a little book of King Cake, which would be a children's illustrated uh, story. Um, because I think one of the really fun things about putting a, about the book was that we got to celebrate those bakers uh, who really are like local legends here. Um, and I, one of my favorite quotes uh, uh, that I heard when I was interviewing people for the book was this woman who she's actually, uh, um, uh, she's a baker from La Boulangerie and she's from Philadelphia. And she said that, um, oh, I've read that yeah. Uh, she, yeah. And she said that uh, it was so exciting to, come to New Orleans because this is like one of the only places in the country and maybe the world where people debate bakers the way that other places debate sports teams. It's uh, you know, which, who makes the best king cake, who has the best this or the best that. It's like a real passionate debate and that's fun. And, and, and these bakers become like, especially this time of year, celebrities. And so the idea that we would get to illustrate them uh, for a kid's book and teach kids about them would be, is, is pretty exciting. And so that's one idea and then the other would be the big book of uh, po' boys, um, which the po' boy sandwich here is a very popular uh, oh, thing, sure. and there's a lot of variety. Oh, yeah, and, sure. and similarly, a lot of debates about who's got the best of those, and so that would be kind of maybe a fun next project as well. Um, so those are ideas we yeah, have, want, but who knows? I wanted to ask both you, Matt, and, and Anne a question, because yeah? in, in my British household, the, the big tradition of Christmas, Christmas lunch was a Christmas cake, but there had to be money in the Christmas cake. Every every slice had to get a shilling or two shillings or sixpence or whatever it was. And uh, that that was part of the tradition of serving dessert on Christmas Day. Now, do they do that in Italy, sweetheart? Um, I don't know. The, the funny the funniest thing was I my my grandmother was who was considered rather fearsome person but she was also very skillful because somehow or other she managed to make sure that every every piece of the Christmas pudding cake got money in it until I until ah, I, was okay. paying, I was paying attention one day to my grandfather who as he, as he was serving the Christmas cake Christmas pudding and he was sliding a shilling on each plate before he put <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think it's a, a similar... He had, uh, <laughs> he had 100% certainty of make, making sure that, that everybody got, all the kids got the same amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a baker who said that she, um, she, when she was a kid, she was like, wow, I'm the luckiest child in the entire world. I get the baby every single time I eat a cake at home. This is crazy. And then she realized, <laughs> oh, actually, her family's just making sure she gets it every time because she's the youngest and she'll make a big stink if she doesn't. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Kind of a similar well, thing. Well, there's just well, so, so much so the, you can do. So the tradition lives after all, huh? So. Oh, absolutely. And, and we have in the book, we have um, some different international versions of the king cake. And, and historically in England, my understanding is that it was uh, the 12th cake or the 12th night cake, um, which then I think um, in the Victorian era kind of gave way to the Christmas pudding, uh, which is, you know, kind of a similar... Yeah. But it sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Yeah, there, there, um, was, there was there was an, there was another cake in the in 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 the British culinary, uh, and that was called a Simnel cake, and the Simnel cake was an Easter cake. Oh, uh, okay. So it was it was a, it was a rather it was a rather grand tasting sponge cake, but it, but it had a layer of marzipan in the middle of the cake. Oh. Mm. Yeah, well, I just love that there's so many... I can't these... overstate the fact that there's something for everybody in this big book of King Cake. Um, Matt Haynes is the author, and he really worked hard and put on a lot of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did. I'm trying to lose him still. I mean, we, we, we could talk forever. I mean, like how did the booze get into the cakes and... And what about vegan mm -hmm. cakes? And we already mentioned the octopus cake and the cricket cake with um, little spiders decorating it. <laughs> I think yeah. it should be for Halloween rather than my God. But anyhow, we, you yeah. really accomplished a lot, Matt Haynes. And um, I wish you much success on this book. I can't imagine. Um, everybody in New Orleans must want a copy just to start with. Yeah, it's doing very, very well so far. We um, we sold out of our first print run, and we're about to sell out of our second, and our third print oh, run's on the way. Great. So 
it's been a it's been a really good start and um yeah i think it's just i can't believe somebody's not written the book already because it's something that's so celebrated here and i think there's not that many examples in an increasingly globalized world where you have this thing that's so unique to a specific place exactly. to like still and so yeah that's a really neat thing to be able to um kind of present it to to, to the world. Well, I can't wait to see the Po Boys one. That's pretty good. <laughs> please, please, Me neither. Please give, our be- please give our best regards to your good friend, Alan Shire. You um, got it. Know. Yeah, I definitely will. He has an incredible thing. And, and Donald's link, too. They're, we used to yeah, be really I just stayed at one of his new restaurants. The chefs in New Orleans. They were just wonderful. So Yeah, when was the last time we, you guys were here? Oh, a couple of years, several years. We haven't traveled more, anywhere for more two like years. five, I think. Five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent yeah. Christmas there once. Oh, that was fun. Oh, yeah, so, yeah it's such a nice time to be here. Cool. But, well, next time you guys are in town, please let me know. I'd love to uh, to take you guys out to dinner or show you around a little bit. Oh, there's so much food in New Orleans. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, and and again, really thank nice. you for talking to us, Matt Haynes. And uh, My pleasure. stay in touch with your future projects. You got it. And thank you very much again for having me and uh, great chatting with you both. Thank you. All right. That's all. That's it. Until next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye. <laughs>